Alright, Kiss Army. You wanted the best? You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcast. Welcome to podcast number 48. We hope you enjoyed 47. That was an awesome interview with Eddie Belandis. And on this installment, you're going to be hearing some really killer stuff. As always, you're going to be hearing some great live vintage kiss that you might not hear anywhere else. Let's check out the vaults. Let's go back in time to an interview with Paul from Seattle on WKJR in December of 1978. And you're also going to be hearing an interview from our good buddy, Travis Humbert, who calls himself a junior podcast correspondent. But once you hear how good this guy is with interviews, you'll say, junior nothing, this guy's big league. Cosmic Blues is the username on FAC of this gentleman. Yeah, he gave us the awesome modern-day Delilah marimba, xylophone, something or other. Got a great interview with Craig Cramp, who is the drummer on side two of Paul's solo record from 1978. A lot of great music that guy's responsible for. And he's He was with tons of bands, by the way. Talks about Sean Delaney, Bill O'Coyne, and his, his career, and it's a big one. Also on the show, we have Matt Walters returning with another mainline opinion segment, where he discusses Kiss and touring and how they got to be the hottest band in the land. So sit back, relax. Grab yourself a Diet Dr. Pepper. Are we still allowed to say that? Yeah, we're, yeah. Is yeah, it? sure, yeah. Like it's got a kiss and kiss and cherry. Kiss. Kiss. See, that's why we got Eddie Bolanis on the show, because he's yes. the only guy who can really kill. Mm-hmm. Put your feet up and listen to this. Check out Podcast 48. It's time for Mainline with Matt Walters. Thanks, guys. People often ask me to describe the most impressive thing about the original era of KISS. Certainly, there have been a ton of possible answers over the years, and most of them are simply beyond words. After all, when attempting to convey to casual fans or new converts the visceral feeling of the band's original era, it's very tempting to pop in KISSology 1 and simply play Winterland 75, or to throw on the album Alive and turn up my stereo a few notches further than sensible. It's equally alluring to sit someone down, place an open gatefold of a live two in front of them, and have them stare at it as I crank side one of Destroyer. There are just no words for being overwhelmed by the experience of KISS as visual and sonic peak, particularly for the band's most ardent fans. However, what makes the original era of KISS so intriguing to me is something I can actually put into words. It's a combination of things so very rare that it would never be achieved again by any other band. And it's something that is often quite overlooked in favor of focusing on the outrageous personas, stage shows, and hedonism. And it's quite difficult to sum up. To start, we need to go all the way back to the beginning, early 1974. KISS had just inked their first management deal and recorded a debut album in short order. Everyone around the band was buzzing. They were retiring from clubs and embarking on their first proper tour, mostly as an opener. I don't think anyone, the band included, imagined that they would be on the road nearly continuously for the next three years. But from March 22, 1974, the effective launch of the debut album tour, until April 3, 1977, the end of the Rock and Roll Over tour, a span of 1107 days, KISS played a total of 426 concerts. That's one concert every 2.5 days for over three years. 
KISS was playing live virtually constantly. Now obviously, this number makes some sense on the surface. Everyone knows that bands tour all the time as they try to establish themselves. Yet this number is actually much more in line with a 60s band than a 70s band, curiously. The most famous of those 60s groups, the Beatles, played some 439 concerts from the release of their first album until they broke up in 1970. Just 13 more shows than KISS played in three years. An unusual case, to be sure, as the Fab Four were changing the world culturally in ways no other band has, and had retired from live appearances by August of 66. Not surprisingly, the Rolling Stones, a much more active live band, played about 550 concerts over a similar time span in the mid-60s, but they usually played two sets per day in each place, so they actually toured about half the number of dates that kissed it. The Who, one of the best-known live bands ever, and certainly the loudest of the 60s acts, played an insane regimen of shows initially, some 650-plus concerts in the calendar years 64, 65, and 66 alone, before slowing down much later in their career. But as the 70s dawned, the music industry began to change, and bands usually maxed out at a much more manageable 130 dates per year, traveling greater distances per day with larger crews to play bigger halls for more revenue. The Grateful Dead, one of the most successful touring acts of all time, got away with merely playing between 70 and 100 dates per year by the early and mid-70s, considered by most to be their live heyday. Aerosmith, one of the most enduring 70s acts, was born around the same time as KISS, but played roughly 80 to 90 shows per year during this time. ACDC, another 1970s live juggernaut, played some 475 shows over three years from 76 to 78 as they were struggling to get heard, a very similar number to KISS's total over roughly the same time span. However, it's clear from looking at many other bands that KISS and ACDC were the exceptions and not the norm. A live regimen such as this was considered fairly robust for a 70s band. Again, this is not really that surprising, and it would be impressive by itself. However, along with playing 145 dates a year during this span, KISS also released six studio albums and one live album at exactly the same time. They put out six albums of almost entirely original material and an era-defining live album in a little over 1,200 days. Of course, there have been 70s bands that have released two albums in a calendar year. Queen and Rush did it in 74. ACDC put their first two Australian albums out in 1975. And Thin Lizzy released two albums in 76. And if we go back to the 1960s, we see the aforementioned Beatles and Rolling Stones releasing albums at a breakneck speed from 1963 to 65. However, those 60s bands were releasing albums that were often partly, if not mostly, comprised of covers. And no major 70s band besides KISS ever released two albums per year in two different calendar years. Most importantly, when we look at some of the aforementioned acts that played many more shows than KISS ever did in a similar time span, we find that they were releasing albums at a much slower pace. The Who only put out eight studio albums during the entire tenure of the original quartet, a span of some 15 years. ACDC reverted to one album per year in quick order after they started gaining traction. And herein lies the point. What impresses me most about the original era of KISS is not the makeup and bombast, it's not necessarily a single performance or song, and it's not necessarily a particular album. What impresses me most about KISS is that KISS should never have made it. 
They were four guys of quite mediocre vocal talent and instrumental musicianship. Their initial recordings, fandom aside, generally sound like plotting, pale imitations of their live performances, and left almost everything to be desired in terms of production values. Their live show, while certainly a spectacle, was more of a bombastic gimmick early than a rock and roll concert, and during the formative years lacked the budget, imagination, and musicianship that would come to be taken for granted somewhat later. So how did KISS do it? By doing it as no other band like them possibly could have. By doing it as no other band would ever do it again, with a tenacity that has yet to be matched by any band before or since. They bludgeoned their way to the top, but not with bombast and makeup, with a work ethic that was unmatched by a 70s band, and I would argue, unmatched by a 60s band either, and a marketing plan that simply wouldn't account for failure or rest. For three years and six months, KISS did it all. Six studio albums, one live album, 450 performances, television appearances, promotional events like Cadillac and Kiss in Time. Sure, KISS had breaks along the way. The Ezrin partnership that ultimately led to Destroyer. The happy accident of the Beth B side. The notoriety they gained with the army they endeared themselves to. Yet they made their own success. And they forged it with sweat as much and more than they forged it with gimmicks and luck. This is Matt Walters reporting from the Midline. Big thanks to Matt for that segment. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Matt's always got some really good insights, and he knows how to put them together into something thought-provoking. Very true. Later on this episode, we're going to have an interview with Craig Cramp, who is one of the drummers on Paul's 1978 solo LP. Let's go back in time to an interview with Paul from 1978 from Seattle on WKJR in December of 1978. Hi, everybody. This is Lisa Jane Persky, Dirty D from Kiss Meets the Phantom at the Park, and I'd like to say hi to everyone around the world in Australia, in Japan, in Malmo. Is anyone in Malmo? Um, and uh, I hope everybody's happy to listen to Podkiss. Paul, welcome. To How Seattle. are you doing, Chase? It's good to be back in Seattle. It's good to have you back here. What happened today? The planes uh, screwed you up in Denver? Oh, it was beautiful. Uh, we were just coming in for a landing in Denver to switch planes and as we were coming in there were really strong winds and we couldn't land so we took off again and all my luggage is gone and I'm here dressed just like I would if I was going to school tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow we have an in-store at 4.30. That's inches. right. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Should yeah, I've been doing that for the last week going out and uh, going to the people let everybody come and sign autographs. It's been great. I, I think in the last three or four days I probably signed about 8,000 autographs. About 8,000 Yeah, I've got calluses on my thumb. Really, it's like tennis elbow. Tennis thumb, I like that. That's right, you got it. Why don't we play your new record after we do these commercials? Sure. Next, okay? All right. This is Paul Stanley, your kids, telling you Starburst, double album, $6.99, tape or cassette, $7.99, now available at Woolworth, Musicland, Sears, Payless, and at Giant T, DJ Sound City, and Fred Myers. I like a pro. I hey, know. all right. Well, that's good. At least I know I got a profession if anything ever happens. That's right, right? always going to radio. Hey, talk 10,000 10, words a minute, right? 10,000 words a minute? It's usually like... Hey, how are you? And then they say, you're on. You go, hey, everybody, it's really good to be here tonight. We're going to play the top ten. It's really good. Mark and the Merc at 54 degrees. Really? You got it. Hey, you're better than I am. I know. I have to do it. But can dance. you play the guitar? I played bass for a while. All right. Yeah. But can you spit blood? No, I cannot spit blood. Okay. On the page two, tell me about your new record. Where'd you do it at? 
I did it. Um, I started in New York, did part of it in L.A., and then I went to England and mixed it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm real happy with it. You know, it's a, it's, nice. yeah, it's a departure. A lot of people, some people listen to it and go, "Wow, it sounds a lot like Kiss," but it's my voice, and I sing a lot of the Kiss stuff. But other than that, it's really not that that similar. I mean, sure, it's rock, but things like "Hold Me, Touch Me." On some radio stations, they were playing that without telling people who it is, and they asked them to call in. And Jesus, you know, it was Barry Manilowitis. I don't know. Let's listen to it now. Listen, win your share of 20 grand in ski gear and a trip to Europe. That's it. Yeah? Yeah. It's our ski challenge. It's a promotion we're doing now. Can I win? Have you entered the contest? I don't know, but can I get my high heels on a pair of skis? That I think we can arrange. Okay. 8 o'clock with Tracy Mitchell and Paul Stanley. Brampton with Tracy Mitchell and Paul Stanley. Kiss. Why don't we talk to some folks on the telephone? Yeah, why don't you call in? I'd like to talk to you. That's what I'm here for. I don't That's want... right. I'm tired of everybody calling me long distance to New York. Every couple of years, a record comes out. It's by a group. You know, they sing something about Christmas. And this is the Eagles. And it's Please Come Home for Christmas. That's right. Charles Brown, 1958. A little oldie, right? Yeah. Mm. Might turn it up now. Mm. I like it. I like it. Christmas songs are just like they warm me to the cockles of my heart. <laughs> KJR with Tracy Mitchell and Paul Stanley. Kiss, let's get on the telephones. Okay, talk to me. First call, up now. Oh, you're on the radio. I am. I'm on the radio. You're on the radio. Oh, my God. I'm on the radio. Yeah. Who's this? This is, um, David Mayhew. How you doing? This is Paul Stanley. Hi, Paul. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I know how you feel. I've been waiting to talk to you. Yeah. So have I. What's going on? <clears throat> oh, not much. Um, my question... <clears throat> i my voice. Uh-oh. My question is whether... Which of the Kiss guys you prefer over the other ones? I love them all. I can't tell them without the makeup. They're all nice guys. There's, um, I heard that in the magazines and stuff it says that Gene's your best friend. Well, Gene's my real good friend. You know, I, I see him more than the other guys, but we're all like brothers, you know? If you have that many brothers, you can't spend your time seeing them all. Yeah, I, yeah. Okay? Yeah. All right, you take care. Hold on, one more question. I hope, why? Do I win an album? Yeah, of course you win an album. I'm going to sign it, right? Right. Okay. Sign it? Everybody's going, yeah, really? Yeah, really. Oh. Sign an album and, sure. Okay. Oh, God. Um, bye. 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 Hello, you're on the radio. Let's try another one. Speechless. Week. Hello, you're on the radio. Talking with Paul. Hello there. Boy, well, I'm getting Some of them are slow. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow. Oh, they, they're laughing. Yeah. Hello. Hi. How you doing? Pretty good. What's your name? Michelle. Michelle? Uh-huh. Does your mother know you're calling? Uh-huh. Uh-oh. I've been with KISS for six years, I think, since the band got together. Gene and I started the band in 73, 72, 73. Oh, my goodness, that's a long time. Really? So now I'm, I'm about 17 years old. Oh, you're about 17 years old? Yep. Oh, that's good. That's about how old I am. Okay, Michelle. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, Hello, you're, you're on the radio talking with Paul. Hello. I am now. Hello there. Hello. Hello. 
Hi. Hi. You're on the radio. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? Oh, great. What's your name? Lisa. Lisa. I used to know Lisa. She was my girlfriend. She broke my heart. Oh, that's awful. I know. What are you doing later? Oh. Well, maybe you can put it together. What's your question? Well, I want to know, okay, when you guys did your show, are you guys going to do another one? Not for about a year or two. You know, we took some time off from touring, and this year we're going to be putting together a new show where we're going to be doing a lot of stuff from the solo albums and from the Kiss albums, and uh, it's really important that we go out and start playing again because uh, I don't want anybody to think that we're movie stars. We're rock and rollers. Uh-huh. Yeah, because when I saw that show, that was the first time I saw liking you guys because before I didn't, you know, you guys, I didn't, you know, like you guys at all. And then when I saw that show, I immediately started liking you, and then... Now I buy buttons and everything. Well, that's but. great. I thought it was time everybody knew we could fly. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that, I thought that was really great. Okay. Uh-huh. Nice talking to you. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye. One more call. Hello. Yeah, hello, you're on the radio. Hello. Uh-oh. Yep. Hey. Hey. When's your next Kiss uh, concert in Seattle? I think we're going to play here in uh, May. I think we should be here in May. Or, what, what building? I mean, you know. Where? Yeah. I think we're going to set up on the freeway. Uh, where, where are you really going to be? I really don't know yet. You know, it, it depends. But by then, I'm sure you'll have a, enough notice. You know, come see us. Oh, yeah. Thanks a lot. All right. You take care. Okay, bye. Bye. What a nice bunch of oh, people. Boy, they were nice. We'll take some more calls. First, let's play a, a record from uh, someone else's solo album in the band. Do you want to yeah. tell us about this one a little bit? Okay. I met this guy in 1972, and he had one orange sneaker and one red sneaker, and he banged him to the wall, and I said, this guy's got potential. This guy this guy could make it. This guy could be a star. That's right. And he went off on his own. He did his album, and he came back and played it, and I said, well, this one's a hit. And it was New York Groove. Ace Freely from KISS on KJR. <laughs> KJR, Tracy Mitchell with Paul Stanley at KISS up here at the radio station. I knew that guy had it, right? Ace Freely. Ace Freely. Did I say his name right? Freely. Freely. Yeah, some people say Freely. We told him in the beginning, we said, Ace, you should change your name because nobody's going to be able to pronounce it or spell it. And he said, what are you kidding, Freely? And since then, it's been freshly, Abe Frawley. <laughs> the kid's got a long way to go. He's doing good, though, you know. I think he'll probably make it, don't you? I think he's going to realize his potential. Soon? Well, next five years. <laughs> KJR Nick Gilder, here comes the night. That's right. Nice. That guy's doing good, too. He's that doing really well, right? Big number one record with Hot Child. Yeah, that's right. Two of those guys are on my album. The drummer and uh, bass player played on a bunch of cuts. Eric Nelson's a bass player, and uh, Craig Cramp was the drummer. They're on there, on, on, on yeah, the single, were, too? They're on, uh, let's Hold see, they're on Homie Touch Me, and they're on about two or three other cuts, and they're on all Nick's stuff. So Nick's doing really well, too. Yeah, it's good to see that. We're going to take some more phone calls right after this. All right, this is Paul Stanley Kiss telling you Starburst from KTEL. It's a double LP, $6.99, tape or cassette, $7.99. Check out this double album set, and you will agree it is the best hit collection of the season. Available at Pay and Save. I'm not on it, but it's good. <laughs> you want my job? <laughs> He does my job better than me. Let's get back on the telephones again here. You got the first call ready? Hello there, you're on the radio. Hello. Hello, um, I, what's his name? Okay, I want to know. What's your name? I don't. Um, I want to know how Gene Simmons breathes fire. That's a secret. I, I can't tell anybody how he does that because a couple of years ago we had some, some people try doing that and they wound up really sick. They wound up in the hospital. It's not something for anybody to try. I know, but I just wondered how he did it. Well, he's a dragon. Everybody knows that. <laughs> okay. Okay? Okay, bye. bye. Hello, you're on the radio. Hello? Hello. Um, Paul? Yeah. You know how hard it is to get through here? 
Oh, I know. I've been trying to reach you all night. Yeah, okay. Um, what gave the idea to use makeup on your songs, you know, when you sing? What? Wear makeup? Yeah. What gave the idea for all that? I don't know. I guess we're all crazy like you. Thanks. Okay? Okay. Bye. Okay, you're on the radio talking with Paul. Paul? Yeah. All right, what's going on? Oh, nothing much. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just sitting here listening to you. Oh, yeah? Um, I hope you know you're in the greatest band in the world. Oh, thank you. I think so. And um, I know four other guys who think so. One's right. my manager. All right. Um, I just wanted to say that uh, you're the person that inspired me to play the bass, and I wondered if you had any advice for me. Yeah, switch to guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, take hey, care. Um, how come you didn't come to Seattle with your destroyer tour? I don't know. I don't know what happened. But yeah, was... I heard that something like your equipment got ripped off or something. No, no, there's too much equipment to get ripped off. But we're going to be back. We're going to be back here in May or June. Do four shows. Uh, we'll do as many shows as you people want. All right. Hey, All we right? were pretty rowdy last time, weren't we? We oh, were down you, the barricade. You were great. All right. Really, you're great. Hey, I'll meet you tomorrow. I'm bringing my base. I want you to sign it for me. All right, take care. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. KJ, are you on the radio talking with Paul? Hello there. Speechless. Hello, you're on the radio talking with Paul. It's a heavy breather. Oh, yeah, Paul? Hey, how are you? Um, I just got into Kiss, well, you know, like, let's say, a little bit. And um, I kind of would like to know, who is the oldest guy um, in the group? The oldest guy? Yeah. Well, none of us are really old, but Peter's older than I am. Huh. And um, uh, uh, tell me how um, uh, tell me how did the band got you know like famous like popular? How did we want? Got popular. How did we like, get popular? Yeah. I don't know. I guess people wanted to see us, so we got more popular. Huh? Why? Well, um, you know, like oh, I kind of saw the special in October. Right. And you know, um, the band was pretty good. You know. Yeah, I thought we were pretty good. And um, the best band, um, song, uh, like that's what, uh, Detroit City. Right. When he did. Right. And the other one's about the best song, like that's from uh, um, older album. Right. Hey, listen, all these, you know, there's a lot of phone calls and the phones are lighting up and we got records to play and I'd really like to talk to you more. But there's other people in Seattle. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Hello, you're on the radio talking with Paul. Uh, oh. Is um Miss Paul Stone? This is. All right. That was Tracy Mitchell. Oh. He oh. has the makeup on tonight. And I want to. All right. Frank Cutsworth, and I want to ask you if is it true that Kiss can't take a dare? Can't take a dare? Yeah. Well, I don't know. We, you know, we're we're not in a. There's no contest or anything. Oh, because one of my friends said they can't take a dare. Well, you might be right. We're not going to jump off buildings. Bye. Yeah, bye. Hello. If you need help, hang up and then dial your operator. Okay, we need hey. help. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, when, when did you first get interested in music? Oh, when we were little boys sitting on our mommy's knee, she used to play music. We're the Kiss Brothers. We all have the same mother. We used to sit around in makeup and she would play songs for us and my father would play the guitar. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay, thank you. Okay. Bye. Tracy Mitchell with Paul Stanley. Let's roll one of your hits here. Huh? Oh, to Detroit. Detroit Rock City. Ow! Oh, Detroit Boy. Rock City. A little rock and roll from Kiss. Mm. I'm KJR, Tracy Mitchell with Paul Stanley. We're going to get some old phone calls. Have you heard of New Rod Stewart yet? Well, I was in L.A., and Carmine played on my album, Carmine Apathy, the drummer. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
you know, I heard a little bit of the stuff, and it was sounding great. They were working on it for a long time. Well, we got it up here next. You want to hear it? Well, yeah, of well, course. Okay, now. KJI Rod Stewart. You like that one? I like it. I like it. The drummer is really good. He gets around. Carmine Apathy. He was on your album? That's right, yeah. He was in Vanilla Fudge years ago. Keep me hanging on. That's in the right. Fame? Yeah, that's Carmine. That's probably why Rod did it. You know, on the last album. That's right, on the last album mm -hmm. you had that. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent, excellent. You want to get on the phone again? Yeah, talk to me, Seattle. Hello. Um, what year did this get together? What year? We got together in 72, late 72, early 73. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Howdy. Howdy. Hey, all right. Hey, all right. Um, I just wanted to know, you said earlier there was a girl that broke your heart. Mm -hmm. I wondered if you, any of the songs on your solo LP were about her. Lots of them. My heart's always getting broken. By the same girl? Oh, no. You only get one chance. Then I got to move on. Okay, and there's one more. Did you get the... There should be a letter there with a poem in it. Uh-huh. And I gave, I came to the station today, and I gave it... And the receptionist said, Tracy, get it to you, and I just wondered if you got Hang it. Hang on. Hang on. I've we got, got it. Right here. It's here. It's from somebody named Karen. Uh-oh. Uh, you know, sort of long envelope, off-white. I got it here. It's got pretty handwriting on it. It says Paul Stanley on it. And it's underlined? You got it. That's it. All right, I'm going to read it before I go to sleep, and I hope it gives me nice dreams. Okay, I hope it will. Okay, sweetheart. Bye. Bye. KJR, you're on the air. Speechless. Hello. Paul? Yes. Yeah, I was wondering um, when the next Kiss comic book is going to be out. I don't know. They take a long time to draw, and, you know, we have to see everything before it comes out. Um, and hey, are you, are you working on a new album? Not at the moment. I think Kiss is going to get together and do the next album in February. Okay. Okay? Uh, thanks. All right. You're on the radio. Hello. Hey, Paul. Hey, how are you? Uh, I want to know, did you finish high school? Of course. Doesn't everybody finish high school? Uh, maybe. Um, you should finish high school, otherwise you're going to have to learn the lost art of pinstriping. You didn't go to college, did you? No, I didn't have time. I was too busy on the road. They didn't let me into class with my guitar. So, uh, my mom likes you. Do you care if she asks you a question? No, I like. I probably like okay. your mom, too. Hi! Hi! Hello, Mom! Hey, how you doing? You I'm doing fine. Gee. Whenever I walk in my kids' rooms and see your pictures and everything, there's one burning question. Okay. Do, do you have a stylus for your chest? For my chest? Uh-huh. Why? Well. It's all natural. Oh, okay. Actually, I bought it. I bought it at Bloomingdale's. I thought that. Probably off a bare rug. That's right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Very good. That's Anytime you want, you can put your feet in it. I hope so. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. KJR, you're on the air. Um, can, um, can you tell me, um, did you like the movie? I love the movie. Oh. I like the guys in it, too. Oh. Okay. Was it real neat? Was it real neat? Uh-huh. Is this an interview? Yeah. Oh, yes. It was real neat. Oh, okay. Okay? Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. KJR, you're on the radio. Hello. Um, um, can you tell me why did, um, why did you guys put on makeup? Who made, who started that up? We started it up. Um, can you tell me why? I don't know. You know, there's a lot of people walking around that look like, um, you. There's not that many people that are walking around that look like me. That's good, really. Okay. All right, thank you. All right. Hello, KJR, you're on the radio. Hi, Paul. Hi, how are you? Fine. What's your name? Kathy. Kathy broke my heart also. Oh, really? Yeah. That's too bad. I was wondering, I've been sick on weekend. I was wondering, how do you cure a cold? How do you cure a cold? Uh-huh. You get hot. I don't know. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Okay. We'll get back on the phones here in a few minutes. Let's roll another record. You do that? Leonard Skinner. Mm. Southern Rock. If you want to ask Paul a question, give us a call at 421-9595. I've been dying all night 
to do the weather. You want to do the weather? And as a radio station, you have an obligation to do the weather, right? That's so true. KJR, Seattle area weather. Partly sunny and colder Thursday. No, it's... Jesus, I'm, go I'm not, not going to get this job. Seattle weather. Partly sunny and colder through Wednesday. Highs near 40, lows upper 20s. We may get snow tonight. Really? Well, sometimes the higher you get, the lower you get, and the lower you get, the higher you get. <laughs> I've heard that someplace. What's the current temp now? Current temperature is vacillating between 36 and 37. 36 and 37. We got another call ready? Put him on. Hello, you're on the radio. I am? You are. Okay. Um, Paul? Yeah. Um, I just kind of want to congratulate you on Hold Me, Touch Me. Oh, thank you. It's a really beautiful song. Thank you. Thank you. I, I was, you know, really looking to do something a little different because everybody knows, you know, that basically we do a lot of rock and that I sing a lot of rock and I wanted to do something, you know, a ballad because I write that kind of stuff too. What gave you the inspiration for the song? Oh, getting held in touch. Everybody needs that. <laughs> really? Okay? Yeah. Hey, take care. Yeah, you too. Okay. Another call. Hello, you're on the radio. Hello. They were hi. Hi. Who is this? This is Paul. Oh, hi, I'm Bobby. Hey, Bobby, how are you? Oh, it's fine. What's going on? Not much. I've been trying for about two hours. Really? Yeah. I've been trying for about two years. At what? <laughs> What's on your mind? I want to know what you think of all these teen magazines printing stuff about you. I think it's great. As long as they print things, then... I'm okay, you know? Yeah, but what if it ain't true? Well, if it's not true, you know it. Yeah. You know what's true, right? Yeah. Right. Hey, when's your next concert going to be down in New Mexico? New Mexico, huh? I don't have an itinerary. I don't know where we're going to be, but okay. um, probably sometime around June. Oh, great. Okay. Okay, bye. Bye. All right, this is the last call. One more phone call. Hello? Hello. Oh, hi, Paul. What? What's your favorite song off your new album? Oh... I don't know. It's a tie between, I think, nine of them. Oh, I like It's All Right. Oh, yeah? Well, that's all right. Okay. All right, you take care. Okay. okay. Bye. Paul, it has been great having you here tonight. Tracy, it's been great. It Welcome was, to It was Seattle. worth the flight. Worth the flight. Tomorrow afternoon at 4.30, we'll be at Peaches. That's right. Sign, you know, signing autographs. Bring down your records. Bring down your girlfriends. Bring down... Look out for them. Look out for them. Didn't the star come from your face on your makeup... Right. From the hidden desire to be a star and a lover? Yeah. Yeah, hidden desire. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I think you brought it out into the foreground pretty good. Well, I'm still trying. You're doing good. Okay. Thanks again for coming up here. It's been... My pleasure. You've been great to work with. Oh, the you best. too. The best. Great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's go off with your record, huh? Hold me, touch me. I love you, Seattle. Mwah. Hi there, this is Craig Cramp, the drummer from Side 2 of Paul's solo record in 1978, and it's an honor to be heard on Podkiss. Hey everybody, it's uh, Travis Humbert here uh, with the Podkiss team. I'm a rookie correspondent, I guess, for the crew. You may re remember me, I was an individual who did the modern day Delilah percussion version with the marimbas and xylophones and timpani and all the weird percussion instruments. And I also did the Outkissed mashup of our favorite band and Kiss as well. <laughs> Actually today, the interview I'll be bringing you, I was lucky enough being down in Nashville uh, to run into Craig Cramp. Um, Craig happens to be one of the most well-respected men in music. Uh, he's worked with everyone from 
Steve Perry, uh, Kim Cards, Melissa Etheridge, Patty Loveless, Nick Gilder, Flo and Eddie, Little Richard, Alice Cooper, um, even his own band, The Robs. The list goes on and on. So it, it's my pleasure, and, and special thanks to James and Gary and Ken and everyone involved with Podkist and uh, all the people listening in the Kiss Army. But it's like I said, it's my pleasure to bring to you today this interview. And uh, Craig couldn't have been a nicer guy, very kind and accommodating, and had some great stories to tell. And so, without further ado, I used uh, Craig Cramp, who's a drummer for Nick Gilden now. He used to be in Flo and Eddie. And uh, before that, he was in The Robs. I used him on some stuff. Hi there. It's all right. <laughs> this is Craig Cramp, the drummer on that song and all the other songs on side two of Paul's 1978 solo record. And you're listening to Podkiss. I guess the first thing we'll start off with is I just want to thank you, Craig, for joining us on the podcast radio show. I mean, it's an honor to be here, you know, and uh, when you sent the email, it was like, man, cool. And since then, I've been trying to remember stuff. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully I'll have a few stories. We'll see. <laughs> well, we're, we're honored to have you on here. I guess to start things off, would you mind telling us a little about your general background? Born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, playing all throughout high school and all throughout college. The very first show, I'm at the Milwaukee Auditorium opening up for the Beach Boys, like 18,000 people going, <laughs> man, this is pretty cool, you yeah. know? And we went around the Midwest opening up for the Dave Clark Five, the Birds, uh, the Love and Spoonful. It was just an amazing time. And then a most interesting story, there was going to be a battle of the bands in Wisconsin and Illinois, and the winner was going to play one day at the Dick Clark Teen World's Fair. This is April of 1966. And if any if you were anybody in music in 1966, you were going to play the Dick Clark Young World's Fair. So we won the Battle of the Bands in Wisconsin. The finals were in uh, Chicago. Nobody knew us in Chicago. We were up against some pretty big Chicago bands, and we won. And so we get to play one day at the Dick Clark Teen World's Fair. And uh, the very first day of the fair, we hear Dick Clark backstage going to the promoter. Who the hell are the Robs? What, <laughs> what are they doing on this show? And the promoter said, well, they won a battle of the bands, and they get to play one day. Ah, oh, great. <laughs> so that's the vibe we go on stage with. And uh, the crowd goes nuts. Girls are screaming. It, the crowd goes crazy. And Dick was waiting for us backstage. And he goes, what are you guys doing tomorrow? To make a long story short, we played every day. Girls ripping our clothes, pulling our hair, you know. <laughs> so a little, uh, little taste of the Beatle mania there. It was unbelievable. Dick Clark had a television show called Where the Action Is. Hmm. And every day after school, kids would come home from school. And at 4 o'clock, there on ABC TV, there was a half-hour rock and roll show. And where the action is was coming to Chicago during the Dick Clark Teen World's Fair. And Dick said to us, I, I want to put you guys on. And we said, well, we have nothing to lip sync. It will go record something. Mercury <laughs> Records was in Chicago. Uh, Chicago still had, had uh, a music industry up there as far as some labels. 
we went into the studio with a producer, uh, Lou Reisner, who produced the very first Rod Stewart record. We recorded two songs. Immediately the next day, like we signed our record contract with Mercury, two days later, that song we recorded was on the radio on WLS and WCFL. I mean, it's just... Don't see that too much anymore. We record something now as session musicians, and it may come out a year from now, literally. Uh, That's how fast things moved, you know? So Dick Clark came to... uh, The show came to Chicago, and we were on it. It was absolutely amazing. He said things like, America, get ready. Next, you know, the next big thing. <laughs> I discovered these guys in Chicago. I do have a copy of that video, and my wife and daughters would look at it and go, so what happened? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Very funny. Uh, we didn't know at the time, but Dick Clark called the um, promoter of the Teen World's Fair and said, I got to get a hold of the Robs. And the promoter said, why? He said, I want them to be regulars on where the action is. And the promoter goes, well, I manage them. And well, great, have them you know, be out in Los Angeles the first week of June. So the promoter calls us and goes, hey, if you sign with me, I can get you on, you know. So of course we signed. <laughs> It was our first experience kind of with a not-so-straight manager. (laughs) But anyway, that's what got me and the band out to Los Angeles in 1966. And uh, Hmm. what an amazing time to arrive out there. It was the birds, the Buffalo Springfield. I saw the doors about five or six times before the record deal, you know. It was just an amazing time as a young kid to arrive out there. And uh, so that's what got me to Los Angeles. And So how did how did you go from playing with the Robs into being a, a session guy? Well, we uh, we had five singles with Mercury Records. We had an album with Mercury, and we never really had a hit. We came close so many times. Billboard magazine has called us the kings of bubbling under. Years ago. <laughs> Uh, there was the Hot 100, but then there was 15 places below the Hot 100, which they call Bubbling Under. Yeah. And we'd have so many songs that would be 113, 111, 109, 103. Oops, we're off the charts. <laughs> you know, we came so close. We had two records. Um, then we moved to Atlantic. There was no trouble ever getting a deal. Everybody loved us. We had two singles on Atlantic Records. And then we moved over to ABC Dunhill, where we had, I forget how many singles in our album. It just never happened, you know? We thought if we would buy like a four-track recorder and maybe cleaned out the garage, that maybe we could record our rehearsals, maybe our writing would get better, maybe we could make our own demos. Within the year, we were 24-track, and the studio that we started was recording like... uh, Steely Dan, Pretzel Logic, and ELO was out there. Man. And Ricky Nelson and Del Shannon. You know, I, I loved learning about engineering and I love that, but I'm going, Craig, you're a drummer. And it was really a soul searching uh, time for me. And I went to the three brothers in the band and, and um, I said, guys, 
I got to leave. I got to go find out about me as a drummer. And a year later, they're driving Cadillacs and Corvettes and started Cherokee Recording Studio, the world-famous Cherokee Studios in Los Angeles. And me and my wife are on food stamps going, did I make the right decision? <laughs> Man, <laughs> I did. From there, uh, real briefly, I got with the Hudson Brothers. And that was the first time I actually was on a, um, a chart record. It got to number 19, a record called So You Are a Star. Hmm. And they had a CBS summer replacement show for Sonny and Cher. Uh, went with my old friends, uh, Mark Fullman and Howard Kale and the Turtles. And uh -huh. I spent basically 75 through about 77 with Mark and Howard, Flo and Eddie and the Turtles yeah. for Columbia. And boy, we were out on the road six, seven, eight months out of the year. So a lot of touring, you know, and I'm grateful for that. And you say you belong to me and it's my mind. Imagine how the world could be so very fine, so happy together. There was a singer that I had met earlier, actually auditioned for a band he was trying to put together, Steve Perry. Steve wasn't doing anything, I wasn't doing anything, and it was basically, uh, well, let's try to form a band. We were at our first rehearsal with the new band, and at the end of the rehearsal, the door opens, and in comes an A&R guy from Chrysalis Records. Right. This is phenomenal. I want to sign this. The band is literally three first, hours old. First rehearsal. And and the guy from Chrysalis Records is going crazy. Uh, we couldn't believe it. And both labels said the same thing. We want to see the team. We want to see management, and we want to see your lawyer, and you guys got the deal. And then Steve and I went out uh, to try to find a lawyer for us. And then we walked into Jay Cooper's office, and Jay in 1977 was probably the biggest music attorney in Los Angeles. Jay puts the cassette on, and uh, about 30, 40 seconds into the first song, he's got his head on the desk. He lifts up his head and goes, this is fucking amazing. <laughs> and then he puts his head back down to go back to listen listens to another song this is fucking incredible and uh he puts his head back down continues listening and he goes the third time we're talking a fucking million dollars <laughs> and uh, uh he put his head back down and when his head went back down steve and i kind of mouthed to each other a million dollars the band was just batting a thousand uh every manager who heard the tape wanted to see us and wanted to manage us. We had people like uh, a coin management, Bill yeah. Coin, loved it. We were going to sign with CBS. And uh, it was a weekend, July 2nd, a Saturday night, and Richard and his girlfriend were going to come over uh, to my wife's and I, our, our house, and we were going to eat. We had one daughter at the time, Carrie, our oldest daughter. She was about five. And we thought, oh, let's just make it the grown-ups. So I uh, was going to take Carrie out to Susie's mom's house in the San Fernando Valley, and I'm on the uh, Ventura Freeway, and I could see traffic was stopped on the other side of the freeway, and there was a bad car wreck. And uh, I shielded Carrie's eyes. I said, don't look. This this doesn't look good, kiddo. Yeah. And we got out to Grandma's house, and I got back to the house. Uh, 8 o'clock, no Richard. 9 o'clock, no Richard. 10 well, a little after 11, 11.30, I think, I got a phone call, 
and Richard was killed in that car wreck. And uh, Richard yeah. was the bass player of the band, born and raised in South Detroit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Detroit boy. And it was absolutely tragic, you know, to say the yeah. least. Uh, so I called Steve around midnight. I said, man, you got to come over here. And I told him what had happened. And we were just devastated. So I called Charlie in Hawaii. He asked the question, well, what are you guys going to do? And I said, well, when the time feels right, we'll uh, hold some auditions, try to find another bass player and rock on. He goes, you still got the deal. Let me know, you know. Three weeks went by or so, and every bass player, Steve, would just go, no, no, uh-uh, no. And this went on for over a day, you know, and into the second day, I kind of looked at him, and I said, man, what's going on? And he goes, well, I've been offered this job in this band called Journey, and the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, what had happened behind the scenes, Journey had two records on CBS that weren't really successful and basically it was like man you know they thought that they should get a singer so behind the scenes the thought was wait a minute here's this incredible singer that maybe doesn't have a band anymore since Richard died and here's this band great band that needs a singer and so it was all kind of manufactured you know behind the scenes wasn't meant to be you know, it's just uh, one of those things in life. Uh, like I said, Steve and Journey became one of the biggest bands, you know, yeah. now you, you ever. kept in contact. Like you oh, yeah. At, oh, yeah. Uh, Steve and I, he's yeah. uh, youngest uh, daughter, Courtney's godfather. And, of course, then we uh. <laughs> wound up. I, I did a lot of writing with Steve for his solo albums. Yeah. And uh, Corrodo Sherry, for example, you know, yeah. which was awesome. So, oh, yeah, we still stay in touch. We talk probably... Uh, about three or four times a year, you know, so. Uh, huh. There was a, a, an artist that Chrysalis Record had uh, called Nick Gilder. Nick was moving from Vancouver to Los Angeles. He wanted to form his L.A. band, and that's where I met Eric Nelson, the bass player, who we eventually wind up on the Paul record, so. Yeah, yeah I, have <laughs> to, I have to hand it to you, you know, to stick it out with all, you know, the Robs, and I mean, I guess perseverance is probably just half the battle on music and, and contacts, knowing people and things of that it's sort. It's the love of music. It yeah. truly is.
so many rough times in my career, but so many glorious, wonderful times. I mean this sincerely. I couldn't have done it without my wife, Susie. Uh, like I told you, she passed away six years ago. We were almost married 34 years. Obviously, it hurts, but I got to go, man, Craig, you were a lucky man to have that kind of relationship. Yeah. And then to have a partner who understands what it is you do, what is your passion, what is your job, what is your life. And Susie realized how much music meant to me. And there were the financial hard times when we didn't know, like I said, putting the band together with Steve. We didn't know how we were going to pay rent or whatever. And to have my partner being so supportive of me. I couldn't have done it without her. I think that's an important thing for anybody uh, in any walk of life, actually, but music especially. Your partner truly has to understand. So when you said we were going to talk about Paul, I'm trying to remember <laughs> how it all came about. Yeah. There was a, another important man in the story who is certainly a character, Sean Delaney. And yeah. I don't know if you know much about Sean yeah, he, or if uh, his name has come up in other interviews. Oh yeah, funny. He uh, was one of the guys in the beginning there with Kiss, helped with the creative aspect and all kinds of stuff. So Yeah, I guess even some people refer to him as like the fifth member of Kiss or whatever. Oh yeah, uh, yeah there's plenty of respect for yeah, him there. <laughs> yeah, Sean... Uh, uh, Sean was together with Bill Coyne. Yeah. They, like I said, they got the band I had together with Steve, you know, and I know Sean called me, but Sean actually uh, was one of the people, you know, they heard the tape and they were just absolutely blown away with it. And then Sean was doing some projects at Cherokee Recording Studios. There you go. This ties in with the Robs, <laughs> the band I was with. So see how it's all kind of intertwined here, you know? And Sean, I forget what he was doing out at Cherokee, and we kind of uh, hooked up again, you know? He actually flew me to New York. I had a chance to meet him and Bill Coyne at that time. And uh, then back in Los Angeles... Uh, Sean was doing some projects, and I was with Nick Gilder. Eric Nelson was with Nick Gilder. And Mike Chapman, who was the biggest record producer of the time, Susie Quattro and a whole yeah. bunch of stuff, and uh, Ballroom Blitz, whoever those guys yeah. were. I forget the name oh, of that. Sweet. The Sweet, yeah. yeah. That was, and he also had uh, uh, Kiss You All Over Exile. Well, uh, Pat Banatar, The Knack, Blondie. Man. Well, he, we went in with Mike and recorded three songs. So one of those songs we recorded was Hot Child in the City. And so anyway, we finally, finally hit number one in November with that. Uh, but anyway, that's, a, that's another story. Sean Delaney called me and said, I'd, I'd like you to come down with the record plant. So we go down to the record plant, and here's Paul Stanley. <laughs> and no makeup. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the nicest guy. Just so warm, so inviting. Just the vibe was incredible. And that is always pleasurable. When you, when you see somebody who's achieved success and doesn't believe their own publicity. You know yeah. what I mean? He was just the nicest guy. He welcomed us, and we were at the record plant in Los Angeles, and uh, Bob Kulik was out there on guitar. Yeah. We've had him on this show. And Stevie DeLacy, 
who was the guitar player in the band I had together with Steve Perry. So you can see how the cast of characters is all kind of interwoven here. We started to work on stuff, and I didn't really know. Nobody ever really said, I don't think, we're working on a Paul Stanley solo record. It was just, (laughs) we're going to record some stuff. You know, and I, I, I don't remember them or Sean. Sean was there, or Paul, making a big deal of it. It was just basically, hey, we're we're gonna record some stuff, and I think that was a great vibe to go in and do it. You know, yeah. it was just like okay. So Paul was out there, and uh, I just started to run down a song. You know, and we just like with any band, just try to jump in. You know, just try to. Uh, figure out what we were hearing and come up with parts and then Paul would direct us in a certain way well could you try this you know I was hearing something a little bit more like this and Sean was a very integral part of that process too Sean was always there out in the studio while we were rehearsing and then in the booth while we were recording so I don't know. I don't think he's listed as a co-producer on that record, um, but I don't believe. I know he uh, he actually had a hand in Gene's whole mm-hmm. album and Peter's as well. So he sort of had, you yeah. know, he helped out with everyone's. It seems you like bet. so. Degree. Sean was there helping, and I remember it was fun. It it uh, Paul was just great. He was funny. Uh, a good player, you know, working on parts. And I know then that that Bruce and Stevie and Paul worked on some of the guitar stuff together to make sure that, you know, everybody was doing the right kind of part where it all could uh, uh, fit together. And here's another thing. I need to find my date book. Normally my uh, my memory's a little bit better than this. <laughs> I I think we recorded... I'm on four songs. Yeah. I'm on side two, four songs. uh, And I think we did those songs. I think maybe the first night we got one or two. And I think there was another session shortly thereafter. I mean, it it could even have been the next night or the following night. We went in and recorded a couple of more. And um, uh, I, I can't say enough how cool the vibe was. I mean, it was fun. And it really, really, truly impressed me what a genuinely sincere, nice man Paul Stanley is, you know? Yeah. It was it, it made it all awesome. And then kinda after, you know, talking to Sean and a little bit, whoa, yeah, the all the kiss they're recording solo records. Not much was said about that, you yeah. know? <laughs> it was just, hey, come on down to the studio, we're recording some stuff. And I kind of like that, you know. Oh, yeah. In retrospect, it was a kind of a great way to go into the studio, and uh, it was quite an honor to be working with a member of Kiss. You know, uh, um, uh, we had our two girls by then, Carrie and well, Katie was a baby, and uh, I got to tell you a cute story. So Carrie's this little girl, you know, nineteen seventy-eight. She's what? She's like five, six years old, and. Um, uh, you know, of course, all the boys at grade school were kissed for Halloween. And here's my little five and six year old first grader walking up to some of the eighth graders going, My daddy knows kiss. My daddy <laughs> works with Paul. And the eighth grade boys just 
sure, kid. Yeah, get out of here. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and, and Carrie says she learned a very important lesson for the rest of her life. You know, just she doesn't have to tell her friends what dad and mom are doing, yeah. what dad's doing. Yeah. She was shot down, broke her heart. <laughs> Must be quite a career day when the other kids, you know, yeah. their dad's a doctor and her dad plays with uh, Paul Stanley yeah. and Kiss. So. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. And uh, I was really pleased. I think there's some really good songs. I'm really uh, be honored on those four songs. And one of them was Hold Me, Touch Me, which I think was the single from that. Yeah. yeah. And I think it got to maybe around number 40 or something like that. Um, it, it received a lot of airplay. Yeah, I remember. I think it was a top four. I couldn't tell you where exactly, but it was a top 40 yeah. single, I believe. And which I still think is a great love song. Oh, I yeah. I think that song is a, an amazing love song. That was one of Paul's, uh, the first real ballads he did. And it's yeah. like such a great, Great starting point. I mean, it really was a sign of things to come, I yeah. guess. So. Yeah. So then uh, I kind of hear that, wow, all four guys are, are doing <laughs> solo records. And I forget why, but I had to stop by Cherokee Studios. And that's where then I met Gene, uh, who was in with Sean recording. Yeah. And Gene, I'll never forget this. Uh, they're working on stuff, and he's got a table full of all of uh, the latest magazines, which Kiss are in the magazines. And he's sitting there with scissors, and he's cutting out the Kiss articles and immediately putting them into a scrapbook. <laughs> and I thought, this is so cool. Yeah. This guy is so organized. And I love that, that he was just doing it. You know, I've got a couple of boxes of magazines where somewhere they mentioned my name. I don't know where. If I would have cut them out like Gene Simmons and put them immediately into the yeah. scrapbook. And Gene was a very, very nice man. It was great to meet him. Uh, I, I love how he did uh, When You Wish Upon a Star. That, yeah. to me, is so touching. And for a member of, of KISS, and especially somebody with the image of Gene, Gene. Simmons singing that song... Uh, to this day, it kills me, and I think it was just an amazing thing uh, for him to record that. From what I understand, he actually was from Israel originally, and he couldn't couldn't speak English. So when he came over to America, he was maybe four or five years old, and and that was the the first English he ever learned was that song "When wow. You Wish Upon a Star." So wow. it was sort of a a coming full circle, you know, because here he was. There was the first English he learned as a little four or five year old kid, and then now. You know, he's at the height of one of the most popular bands of the 70s yeah. recording that song. So wow. that's always been Great one story. of my favorites wow. as well. <laughs> that's awesome. Hi, this is Bob Kulik, and you're listening to Podcast. I was with Nick Gilder traveling, and I think uh, it was either later in the year or early the following year, we got a phone call, and uh, it was uh, a birthday party. And uh, I think... When, do you, when's Paul's birthday, do you know? Uh, Jan, sometime in January, maybe January. January 20th. Yeah, it was a party. We were, Susie and I were invited to a party, quite a Hollywood party. And I was very touched that uh, Paul would think enough to invite me and my uh, wife. It was really, really special. And we got to see uh, 
a whole nother side of Paul, you know, and, and once again, it was all close people. How cool. He wasn't Paul, the guy from Kiss. He was Paul, just Paul. And then we had an <laughs> awesome, awesome time. And it always touched Susie and I that we were invited uh, to that party, which was great. Now we can skip forward many, many, many years. Um, uh, me and my family, we moved here from Los Angeles in December of 1987. And uh, so I, it was sometime in the early 90s, uh, but Kiss was coming to Nashville. And Paul called. Paul called and said, hey, Craig, you know, oh, my God, it was great to hear from you. I hear you're in Nashville. Would you guys like to come to the show? <laughs> awesome. It was like we'd love to. Susie wasn't feeling that well. She was kind of like, ah, oh, man, I don't know. And uh, it was like, well, come on, let's give it a try. So um, all three daughters, uh, Susie and myself, and at the time, uh, my uh, oldest daughter had a boyfriend at the time, and he came along. And he brought his kiss cards. It was absolutely amazing. There were the tickets there, the backstage passes. Immediately, a bodyguard escorts us to backstage before the show. I don't feel comfortable backstage unless it's my own show or a show that I'm a part of. I just yeah. I always feel a little germit. I don't know what. I just It's not <laughs> the most comfortable feeling in the world. Yeah, And yet we walk into the room, all the kids, Susie and I, and uh, Paul and Jean welcomed us, I mean, with open arms. You know, Craig, it was so good to see you. And uh, uh, my daughter's boyfriend got all his kiss cards, you know, <laughs> autographed, and it was just an amazing visit. And a thing I remember that night, we talked about touring. Sometimes America has an image of kiss and all those weird stories and kids in service and what all that crap. Yeah. Here are Gene and Paul, and we're talking business. I said, well, how long is the tour going? Well, we're going to be out there for about five months, blah, blah, blah. We got to play every three nights. We got to play three <laughs> nights a week to meet the nut. And it was all business talk. And yeah. it was just like these two guys are amazing business people. And, and I think more credit should be given to their business acumen, you know, my God, what oh, they yeah. have accomplished. And, and it, it was just like I was talking to two businessmen from any anything, any you know type of business. So amazing, guys. And uh, then Paul handed out earplugs to every member in the family. And he goes, we play a little loud. <laughs> so he passed out earplugs. And then uh, he called over the, the bodyguard, a mountain of a man, giant, muscular man. And he said to the guy, "You see where they've sit, where they gave seats to Craig and his family, and if the seats aren't good enough, you know where to take them." And it was like, "Well, thank you." And they said, "Well, thanks. Come on back after the show." The seats were on the side of the stage, first row, and all of a sudden, we're thrilled. You know, we're absolutely <laughs> thrilled. And the bodyguard comes and he goes, "Uh-uh." come with me and he escorts the whole family to the raised platform of the soundboard and that's where we got to watch the kiss show man and it was the first time 
my daughters had seen Kiss. Susie and I saw them in L.A. Uh, we are, they invited us to a show. But this was the first time the girls really got to experience a Kiss show, and uh, absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah, you what, know. A, what a cool like just to hear that you know your heroes are genuine people as well. I mean, that's just such a cool nice story. I, yeah. I can't say enough about Paul. And now we'll move the clock forward some more. Uh, about two years ago, I'm trying to think, I think a year and a half, two years ago, I come home and there's a message from Paul on my phone machine. Craig, how are you? I hope you're doing good. Man, I got to tell you, we're here rehearsing and we're learning some songs from my solo record. I'm just going, we're just going, God, those drum tracks are amazing. <laughs> what you played on my record is amazing, man. Thank you. God, that stuff is good. Man, I hope we can hook up. I hope we can talk. And it was just the sweetest message on a phone machine to come home to, you know? Oh, yeah. And I don't know if he was getting ready for a bit of a solo, some solo shows, or I'm not uh, sure exactly yeah, what I, that was all about, or if they were learning some of those songs for um, Kiss. I don't know. Beth, he had a, a solo tour a couple of years ago, had a solo record come out, and it was, uh, and he and a couple uh, guys just went out and played smaller venues that's around probably what it was country, but so. it was such a touching message you know to hear that on the phone machine so uh, oh, oh yeah i called him back and i got his machine and i just thanked him and i said i hoped everything was well and i hope uh, uh i told him how he just made my day or month <laughs> or year or whatever with that one so um yeah an amazing time and like i said the cast of characters how everybody kind of intertwines i was doing I played on Betty Davis' Eyes with Kim Carnes, and we were yeah. doing um, uh, American Bandstand, and all of a sudden, Billy Idol's on the show, and my oldest daughter's got her girlfriend, and, and Bill Coyne is managing Billy Idol. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Bill comes up and kisses me, and it freaks my daughter out. Why is, why is this man <laughs> kissing my daddy? But that was Bill. Yeah. <laughs> Bill was just... Um, I think a lovely man. He he was, uh, that was just Bill being Bill. Definitely. And he was a wonderful guy. And and I've heard that that relationship, Sean Delaney and Bill O'Coin, it was good cop, bad cop. They would go into Casablanca and Bill O'Coin would be the polished businessman in the suit and conduct try to conduct business in a in a very business-like manner but if there was some stumbling box it was like i don't know well i don't know if we're gonna i i, I don't know if you want sean to come in here the door would burst open and here's sean delaney in a leather jacket with motorcycle boots standing on the fucking table screaming yeah and it worked. It was good cop, bad cop. They got a lot of things accomplished that way. Yeah. And uh, uh, I look back, uh, Sean passed away, I can't believe it now, in 2003. And um, I later wound up in a band for a minute with Sean, a band he had that we were also signed to Casablanca called the Scat Brothers. Huh. And that's where I met Richie Fontana, who played oh. on side one of Paul yeah. Stanley's album. <laughs> So you can see, like I, I keep saying, it's just so wonderfully bizarre, but not. 
you know, yeah. how all this is kind of intertwined. And Richie and I became friends. Hey, you're the guy that played on side two. Hey, you're the guy <laughs> that played on side one. And uh, uh, Richie, wonderful guy. I know Richie was really involved in the in the uh, Coin family. Uh, he was in a band called Piper, yeah, which got signed by a Coin. I don't know if he also played with Billy Squire. I'm not sure about that. He may have, but uh, it was just, it's fascinating once again how everybody's intertwined. And I received a phone call. Thank God for. Uh, for Facebook and things, you know, old <laughs> friends can find each other. And, and uh, Richie found me, and we've talked on the phone several times. And uh, Richie's still in New York. It was really nice. Richie called me when Bill Coin passed away. He told me all about that and how that was. You know, Richie actually went down to the funeral, and, and he filled me in on, on that. And I was sad to hear that. Uh, it's when people pass away, uh, it's the memories that they leave. And, and I think back of uh, crazy Sean Delaney and I I got a smile you know he was a very he was he was a force and he was a force uh, with Kiss I think he's the only guy that wound up writing with each member of Kiss he had a lot of songs Uh, uh, he produced and co-wrote a lot of uh, songs Uh, was Toby Toby Bow yes Hmm. Sean wrote for them they had a big big hit single My Angel Baby and so I'm looking back uh, Sean was a wonderful lunatic, uh, but a, a very talented man. And I look and I smile and I think back on Bill Coyne and I realize what a, a class uh, individual that guy was. I feel honored to be somehow part of that whole, on the outside, but still I feel like I'm somewhat a part of that, that family. At least I was for a minute or two, you know? Oh, yeah. It's, it's interesting how, how much each member of that original team, I guess, of KISS with Bill and, and Sean and uh, Neil Bogart, their mm-hmm. Casablanca Records guy, and, and all the four members and all those guys, how integral. It was almost like a perfect storm of all those it was. guys it, coming together. That's a together. good way to say it. So, um, yeah, the yeah. timing was right. Yeah, it yeah. definitely was. What all have you been up to since then? I, you still play often? No, I'm still rocking. Yeah. I'll let you know the next time. I'm, I got a show Saturday night, in fact. And so hmm. uh, still playing, still uh, kicking out the jams, uh, writing a little bit, going to get back to that more. And then this is really crazy. We're doing this interview from the executive boardroom of the Nashville Musicians Association. <laughs> And uh, if you would have told me three, four years ago that I'd be doing this, I'd say you're stark raving mad. <laughs> but uh, I'm the secretary treasurer of the Nashville Musicians Association, and that's a local, local 257. Uh, we're a labor union under the larger umbrella of the American Federation of Musicians. And uh, I just, I've been a union member going back to the 60s. Uh, But like I said, God willing, I still rock. I rock pretty darn hard. (laughs) Animal from the Muppets was modeled after me. There you go. So uh, it's been a wonderful career. And uh, like I said, a lot of ups and downs. uh, uh, And with my wife's help and my family's support, and that support continues to this day, I look back and I'm really grateful, you know, for the things that I've been a part of like the Paul Stanley (laughs) Kiss album. I mean, I look at that and I realize, uh, hey, that's pretty darn cool. Oh, yeah. I imagine uh, 
just the amount of joy that that record brings to all the re- I mean, any of the records you worked on brings to people. That yeah. must be such a, a a good feeling too, knowing that you help bring a little bit of happiness to people through that yeah. stuff. So yeah, it's just it's a you know it's a great great thing I guess. So very cool. So thank you for having me be a part of this. Oh, it's yeah. an honor and. I wish I could have remembered more. Oh, uh, you know. <laughs> well, we uh, we thank you as well, Craig. So, I mean, on behalf of the Kiss Army, I guess, well, we'd make you a, an honorary captain, I guess, oh, of the wow. Kiss Army. I'm so, <laughs> thank yeah, you. Yeah. So, hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully, maybe we'll get the chance to talk to you and, again. Sometime. And probably knowing me in two days, I'll call you, going, "Hey, I forgot to tell you about." Oh, <laughs> you're more than welcome anytime on the show. So, All right. Thank so, you. Yeah. Thanks again, Craig. All right. Bye-bye. See ya. Hi there. This is Craig Cramp, the drummer on side two of Paul Stanley's 1978 solo record. And uh, doing this interview was really a lot of fun, just to recall the times with Paul, how it worked in the studio, and then to hear all these songs again. It's all right. Hold me, touch me. Love and chains and goodbye. So I guess this is running long, so I should say goodbye for now. And you're hearing this all on Podkiss. So we hope you enjoyed this double shot of Podkiss. Join us next time on Podkiss 49 next month, where we start a three-part celebration of one of the most classic, one of the most beloved Kiss records of all time, Rock and Roll Over. We've got awesome roundtable discussion with great guests. We've got really rare audio and great live tracks and studio jams that you may not have heard anywhere else. This is a record we all enjoy. And you're going to love it, all you groovy guys and girls. And ow! Howlin' Ken. We're gonna we're gonna also throw in there some really old interviews, right? Some cool yeah. classic interviews yeah. from the the days of rock and roll over. This is a record that I've said before is is probably the one of the of the original six studio records. It's the one that I I appreciated the least to begin with. But as often happens with podcasts, when you start talking about something, you start to love it more and more and listen to every little nuance. And we know that if you love rock and roll over, you're gonna love where we're going with this. And if you like rock and roll over, get ready to love that record. So three episodes based on the rock and roll over album. What a great way to kick off the fifth anniversary of the podcast. And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late great Eric Carr, and the late great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Podcast is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podcast is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podcast crew, thank you for listening to Podcast, the KISS fanzine for your ears. Hi, this is Australian. Oh, with the quote. <laughs> Hi, one more time. With the quote of the day? Hi, this is Australian. Here's the quote of the day. You should finish high school, otherwise you're going to have to learn the lost art of pinstriping. <laughs>